0: Rookie of the Year called the winner, who I often call human highlight reel, Kirill Kaprizov, remains an unsigned restricted free agent, and that he was Minnesota's goal and point team leader does matter in projecting Minnesota next season. Additionally, is GM Gurren in the trade for a top six center, and how does that deal look? And I'm not talking about Jack Eichel, but more so Christian Dvorak. There is a new bottom pair D, and no Ryan suter or Zach Parisi either, making Minnesota more than any Central Division team to me way harder to predict accurately. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm Tim McGillow. No Central Division team has felt as unsettled as Minnesota has on the free agency frenzy. And as we have a look at the offseason moves of the eight focused division teams, two things. Come training camp, more moves may have happened, but we do have insight into what to expect based on what has happened so far. This is a team-focused 2021-22 draft and free agency review for the Minnesota Wild. The offseason saga of Kirill Kaprizov's restricted free agent status and his agent using the tactic of him returning to play in the Continental Hockey League and the longer his return remains uncertain does affect Minnesota's expected offense. Additionally, the other notable restricted free agent forward, Kevin Fiala, agreed to a one-year deal, not a multi-year deal, before having it end up being resolved through the CBA arbitration mechanism that the team, not the player, chose to invoke to help spark that negotiation to the one-year conclusion. And while no team had a better group of goal-scoring by committee than Minnesota did through their lineup lineup, From a top-to-bottom perspective last year, the aforementioned Kaprizov with close to 30 goals and Fiala's 20-plus goals were the driving force with Joel Eriksson-Eck, the notable other re-signed player of a trio of goal scorers on three lines of what was quite a formidable Minnesota top nine. How it all fits under the cap is a whole lot more complex, not simply this upcoming season, but the next three years after because of the tandem of buyouts of Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. And while I get the thinking behind the decision, while I do have a thing or two to say about that, the starting point for, where to assess minnesota at also should be from that of a playoff caliber built team it was last season not a playoff bubble team that overachieved minnesota were at value for where they were as a team in the standings a year ago they were a solid playoff bound group the uncertainty of kaprizov's new deal is enough to cause for some pause because of the aav yearly cost will matter to the available cap space and the term of the deal it's elite goal scoring production not depth players we are talking about kaprizov with biela and erickson as a trio of goal production drivers for minnesota are key to keeping minnesota a playoff bound team and all that focus is mired in minnesota being in the conversation mix of potentially acquiring jack eichel that probably more so Then, by comparison vet right winger st louis forward vladimir tarasenko wanting a fresh start valuation because of injury time loss is one in eichel's case potentially a bigger risk as he needs a surgery and that does affect the potential player you may be getting and two in both cases the ask is as if the players being dealt were in mint condition And we're talking about players that simply isn't assured for as well. Therefore, the ask is simply overvalued by the teams trying to trade them. And it has to be because that's why the two remain on their current team still. However, if the ask does come down, Minnesota could reamp its efforts. And adding a top six center, even one that isn't Jack Eichel, would be great for this Minnesota group. But without the cost certainty of Caprizov's deal, it doesn't exactly make it more than just a workable idea for GM Bill Guerin at present. In fact, Marcus Folino's brother Nick delayed decision to go play in Boston, not Minnesota, In free agency, handcuffed GM Gurren's ability to make other moves while he still had two restricted free agents at the time to sign that one still remains unsigned the other truth what all of that rather notable newsworthy team news taking the attention rightfully so has done is downplayed some subtle depth spot differences between this year's upcoming minnesota team and last year's that also either maintained a status quo best case or made the overall team less competitive and the expectation of prospects to make the team to mitigate that is somewhat possible. When we start to think of the trio players needing to do that to keep this team at the level of where it was at, well, the likelihood of all three actually doing so is less likely therefore how close is the line of assured playoff bound status of a minnesota team of a year ago to the cluster of central division bubble playoff teams that are a half step behind them comparatively to last year have they caught up in the offseason does minnesota end up falling back into the mix with them instead of staying ahead the suitor parisi buyouts matter in the dead cap space it caused that's real of three key restricted free agents, the team's top three goal scorers of a year ago only one has a long-term deal and that is also a big thing because it is isn't instantly replaceable goal production and while focusing on that what else has changed that you don't really focus on because all that more important key core players actually is when i go through the expected roster and the changes of all those things come into play but if we started the regular season tomorrow i like this team less than i did a year ago and until certain things fall into place, hopefully before training camp, I'm downgrading the expected prediction, but one thing you do always get is the reasoning behind why I'm doing it. Before we look positionally at the roster, let's talk about the 2021 draft. I had, in the entry draft preview, talked about Minnesota potentially taking their pair of late first rounders and flipping the draft assets for a top 10 pick. The only scenario I didn't think of is the actual one of a slight jump up in the selection spots while keeping two first rounders that minnesota did decide to do two things a logical trade to get into the top 10 had competition arizona in the oliver eckman larson connor garland to vancouver trade grabbed the ninth overall pick from vancouver as part of the return package in that trade that was one of the potential pick trade partners in Vancouver that was no longer in play for Minnesota to move up in the draft with even so the player I felt Minnesota would want to move up in the draft war also went in the top five at pick five as Columbus took center Kent Johnson Columbus with an additional two other first round picks was using their top pick and to me took Johnson a bit higher than he should have went but they at least drafted him Minnesota with the 22nd pick and a third rounder they had moved up a pair of spots to select at 20th, the 19th player selected because of Arizona's forfeited 11th pick, just for clarification. They took goalie Jesper Walstead, who it was a toss-up of the two best available goalies along with Sebastian Casa, were ranked to go in the first round. When you think of teams that could need a top prospect goalie, well, Minnesota isn't the first team that comes to mind. Edmonton, who traded Minnesota the pick, would have been better to have kept it and selected a future blue chip goalie and didn't. So that all around surprised me. And Minnesota only jumped Boston potentially to select Wallstead So I guess they really felt Boston was going to select them if they didn't move up, seeing as Edmonton was oblivious to doing it. I like the Walstead pick for minnesota the other key is the three picks prior were all center prospects that Walstead was falling on the best available player models The later first rounder minnesota kept was also a tidy piece of draft magic by minnesota they selected defenseman carson lambos with pick 26 he was expected to go into late teens around the cluster of winnipeg nashville and that Edmonton pick that Minnesota used to select Wallstead at. In fact, the shortage of first-round top defense prospects, I thought Lambos was going to be selected higher, in fact, by St. Louis with the 17th pick. But they opted for a center with size, and Winnipeg right after did as well lambo's so although he returned from having had quite a serious injury playing junior fell and that was a gem of a selection at 26 he shouldn't have dropped that low and minnesota if he projects to fulfill to his ability knocked that pick out of the park i also thought minnesota would go with a center and D-men, and while they selected a goalie and D-men, still based on the draft projections minnesota did tidy well played drafting with where minnesota's two picks were Minnesota adds defense prospect Jack Pert in the second round and center Caden Bankier in the third round. And that's usually where I stop highlighting the draft picks because it will be quite some time, if at all, we're talking about the late round picks as it relates to the big club roster. And that's where we focus our attention back to now. Let's look at Minnesota positionally after the free agency frenzy, now starting in net. Goal. Minnesota protected starter 34 Cam Talbot over backup top prospect 25 Kapel Kakinen for the expansion draft and ended up keeping both. And that, although Minnesota lost a playing everyday NHL regular on its bottom pair D group, well, I think it's the better loss of the two as far as the ability to find a replacement. The need for a goaltending upgrade we have forgotten so quickly was the primary need in last season's Minnesota offseason. GM Gurren signing of Talbot, who was full value last year as a starter with a bit of missed time, and Kakanen in over 20 games played in the shortened season, did inspire to be able to be more than adequate above NHL average backup in more than just spot duty. The tantum was an absolute upgrade from Devin Dumnik and Alex Stalock as a combo, and the talbot Kakinen tantum returning gives quality playoff team caliber Burnett minding for the upcoming season it's a position you can't leave to chance at the nhl level and last off-season gm gurren's tidy work of improvement worked out and it's now simply something this offseason we don't have to talk much about from the percentage of the total cap cost of the duel they both salary-wise combine to be under $4.4 million, and that's exceptional value. Goalies we do need to remember do take longer to develop, and in the case of Kakinen at 25 years of age, he still is actually on his development curve. What we do know is he is capable of playing as a backup at the NHL level and still has the potential to develop into a split duty or even a starting NHL goalie yet. That, to me, is an underappreciated asset. Goaltending is a necessity to winning in the NHL, and it's the most elusive positionally to secure. Well, the Central Division has quite a good list of NHL-quality proven starting goalies, save for Arizona, that expression should be be no safe for them yet minnesota is on a smaller list of central division teams where i'm confident the backup goalie will also win games when his number is called as well as a starter at more cost value competitively also at the current combined cost of just under $4.4 million for the Tantum from the cap structure cost, it's also next to impossible to find comparatively as good replacement value if Minnesota didn't have them. That's why losing Kakanen in the expansion would have probably forced Minnesota to spend more on a replacement backup, money minnesota doesn't have to be able to spend minnesota's success last season is tied to the goaltending improvement of a year ago and that remains a net for this upcoming year additionally goalie andrew hammond 33 like a season ago re-signed a one-year 750k deal for goalie organizational depth this is central division hockey the podcast we'll take a quick break and return to take a look at minnesota's defense and forward groups for next season so far welcome back to central division hockey the podcast this is a team focus 2021-22 draft and free agency review for the minnesota wild turning our attention to the d group defense while the ryan Suter and zach parisi buyouts like their signings were done in tandem i want to separate them because i feel differently about them save parisi positionally while talking about the forward group and let's focus on ryan Souter now with the defense group Suter, 36, while not playing top minutes last year, did play quality top four 20-plus minutes collectively with a very NHL-capable top four group that otherwise all remains. If we are looking at Suter and his $7.5 million per salary, it's an expensive second pair guy to have, but its overvaluation isn't double based on his quality of play yet. That's what I focused on here. I'd be inclined as a GM to only want to go the buyout route when Suter was seen to have bottom pair value while being paid top pair salary, and that's simply just not the case yet. He still has second pair playing value, so given the time to think about it, I don't think Minnesota should have bought him out. They might still have had to, but this wasn't the off season to do it minnesota is on for two-thirds the remaining contract value because he is an over 30 plus age player let's simplify this though at two-thirds value five million per is suitor still a value pretty darn close to it that's why dallas signed him for four years at 3.65 million that to me is slightly undervalue for suitor's playing abilities but appreciate the closeness of the two thirds salary wise because while the buyout is stretched over six years not three for Minnesota really the cap saving is 2.5 million over those years except the savings are in year one and five and six years two through four it's not a savings at all this year, Minnesota adds left-hand defenseman Alex Golgoski on a one-year, five-million deal. They have 2.37 million in dead cap for Suter, but that nearly triples in year two through four of the buyout. An actual top-four replacement has to be minimally 3.5 million per. But let's be honest, actually closer to 5 million such as Golagoski is and his signing after the buyout does give Minnesota a solid top four group for this upcoming season, that I don't doubt. The difference between Suter's 7.5 million and his buyout plus Golagoski for one year this season is 7.37 million. It's practically a wash money-wise for essentially rather comparative replacement value. However, years 2 through 4 at 6.37 million and 7.37 million in year 3 and 4, it's if you have a 5 million top four replacement around 11 to 12 million per to have it cost-wise. That's why suitors depreciated play needs to be bottom pair in his play not still top four value for a buyout to make sense to me even at his current overpayment another team confirms in suitor's new deal it isn't double overvalued he signs a new deal over 3.5 million per for a term longer than his remaining minnesota contract was in term simply the next three years after this there isn't money for a more cost-effective top for replacement heck even someone at bottom pair money still costs minnesota more than Suter, who is still capable of 20 plus minutes in the top four of an nhld group now the answer likely is i've heard golagoski signs next season for less to balance out his replacement cost That technically the team and player couldn't agree to in advance, but quite honestly, good on them if they did, because I'm sure it happens, and who cares if it is mutually agreeable between the player and the team, given how complex the CBA is to actually put together a working competitive team with. By the way, the suggestion was made on 31 Thoughts recently that this was the case. I'm not suggesting it myself to be so, and... Good on Minnesota, whether true or not, if that gets done next summer, because the other option realistically would be prospect Kalen Addison, 21, on his entry-level contract, playing top four next year. He may have to do that in spot duty this year during injuries. However, consider this drawback with two years of entry-level contract remaining. If Addison is lights out good next year as a top four NHL defenseman, he sets himself up to be paid like it and Minnesota won't have the cap space to do it because of the Suter buyout still keeping that money stuck in dead cap. In Suter's case, Minnesota didn't save anything over his contract buyout. They should have just kept him on the second pair until he was a third bottom pair value and I don't think he would be for the remaining time on the original Minnesota deal. But it's done. Still, Jonas Brodine, 28, and Alex Goligoski, 36, on the left-hand D, with Jarrett Spurgeon, 31, and Matt Dumba, 27, is a great top-four NHL D group. Goligoski was good last year on a bad Arizona team. I would expect the status quo quality from this group. The fit of Goligoski for Suter was good solely from the quality of the player in comparison, And we now have to spend the rest of our time quickly on the bottom pair changes. The Minnesota team leaders in plus-minus were bottom pair Carson Soucy, 27, who's $2.75 million two-year remaining, was lost in the Seattle expansion, and Ian Cole, 29, who signed a $2.9 million one-year deal with Carolina. Minnesota added left-hand defenseman's 30-year-old Dmitry Kulikov at $2.25 million two-year and 29-year-old John Merrill on an 850 k one-year deal that, if one plays the offside, could be the bottom pair and it won't be as solid as it was last year. Of course, the combined cost of $5.65 million for the bottom pair is an NHL luxury cap-wise. If Susie and Cole would have been able to return, how it would have fit under the cap even this year, one wonders. Kulikov compares better to Cole, and time on ice-wise can play high bottom pair minutes effectively. My only drawback of Kulikov, based on his time in Winnipeg, was he spent... A lot of time injured, not his ability to play when healthy. Good puck moving ability. Cole's better defensively, I feel, and Kulikoff in Winnipeg was stretched almost to top four minutes. That he can play in spot duty, but you don't want him to be doing that regularly. I also have Addison as the right hand defense bottom pair option, but his development playing top minutes in Iowa and being a top four injury replacement call up would be to me using him best. Bottom pair NHL minutes and limited with the quality of the top four Minnesota has usage feels like it would be a drawback, not an advantage. Addison is capable of doing it. It's whether that's what Minnesota wants him to do. Left-hand defenseman 30-year-old Kevin Kuzman is, to me, additional defense step organizationally but a vet you might want to think of him and his 750k one-year deal a limited minute injury replacement like the departed 32-year-old brad hunt who was signed to an 800k one-year deal with vancouver left shooting right-hand defenseman 27 year old dakota murmiss at 750k two years is also a potential spot duty defenseman right-hand defense prospect 24 brennan mennell departed on a trade-in sign and louis Balpedo 25 an unrestricted free agent signed with montreal on a 750k one-year deal also was down the depth chart as it was especially when minnesota has addison a younger prospect with a similar but better skill set to Balpedo available Simply, while the top four looks as good as last year for Minnesota, the bottom pair won't be, and how much that affects Minnesota might have fans appreciate even more so how quietly good the Susie-Cole combo was a year ago. To me, there will be an impact as the overall group of six isn't as strong. It's still relatively competitive to it, but another right-hand defense bottom pair everyday NHL defenseman to me seems missing from this D group. Looking at the Minnesota offense, essentially until unsigned restricted free agent Kirill Kaprizov is signed, it's hard to piece the Minnesota top nine, as only Yul Eriksson Ek 24 and his 5.25 million eight-year deal is long-term, and that was a great signing. Additionally, Kevin Fiala, right wing, left wing, penned a 5.1 million one-year bridge deal, avoiding arbitration that will have to again. Be worked on next off season. It's to say the three effectively all played on three separate lines, while being the primary goal scorers of the respective lines, and one, two, three on the team in goals. For Minnesota to be comparable on offense and goal production, well, to me they are all requirements to have this lineup work as it did a year ago so well for left wing right wing Kaprizov not to be on the team that's the team's leading goal scorer who also helped winger Matt Zuccarello's production and if Yul Eriksonek centers another line as he did last year well it does balance out Minnesota better and trust me Eck with Jordan Greenway 24 and Marcus Fellino 30 on the wings was a top six value line that I think I would be correct is something Coach Dean Evison wants to be able to duplicate on his forward line combos this year. Therefore, on my depth chart, presuming Kaprizov is signed, I kept him with Zuccarello and Victor Ras 28, at center, And as I talked in the Arizona Free Agency review, based on his availability through trade rumors, I had an idea of trading for 24-year-old Christian Dvorak for Rask in his final year while adding in a pick for Arizona as a sweetener to get the deal done. The cost certainty of Dvorak, who can play top six and with two quality line mates he would have in Minnesota, appeals to me more so than the way more costly option of dealing for jack eichel does rask however with comparable contract has to go the other way for this to work for minnesota's cap structure and arizona is going to need additionally some draft picks to want to do it at all arizona with devore probably does have multiple teams interested and he does have quality top six value Ross for now is a placeholder center between Zuccarello and the unsigned Kaprizov. the two-year 1.2 million signing of 28 year old Frederick Goudreau fit well into the top nine either at center or right wing when you realize that you can put a re-signed Kevin Fiella on the one wing and Ryan Hartman 25 on his 1.7 million three-year extension and Lock him to start on the other wing or at center with Goudreau on the wing. Goudreau at 53.7% faceoff win percentage is the logical first choice at center. However, it would have good energy and production value and matchup wise, like last year, keeping Kaprizov, Eriksson, and Fiela on different lines because it gives most nights Minnesota a line that has a favorable matchup with one because most teams aren't as deep to shut down three goal scorers spread over three lines like Minnesota deployed a year ago. I slotted 26-year-old Nico Sturm, 7.25K one year remaining as the fourth line center spot with Nick Modino's 2.05 million two-year deal with San Jose now departed and he's a vet that's hard to replace. I did consider, if this roster didn't make a move for additional center help, that Sturm, not Ross was more desirable to me between Kaprizov and Zuccarello. Like, if I were Coach Dean Emerson, I would consider it with Ross playing fourth-line center instead, essentially swapping them out, or at least trying them out both to see which works better however i still think minnesota does try to add in a trade at center so Rass was put there as a placeholder and maybe part of who goes the other way in making the deal it's his last year under contract so it's a logical piece to work from as to how minnesota could with cap salary considerations be able to do it now we can talk about center prospect 19-year-old Marco Rossi, but are we really dropping him into the top 9 at center ahead of Sturm and also you aren't having him play fourth line center for his development when he will be a top 6 player at the NHL level. Realistically, if Kaprizov doesn't re-sign and does follow through on his bluff to go back and play in the KHL, that seems downright pointless, but flipping Fiala up with a Azul- Zuccarello and slotting Rossi on the wing with Goudreau and Hartman as a third line unit is at least plausible and not stretching a very young rookie at least to start the season with Rossi missed all last year so I'm guarded I guess on my expectations for him and how to fit him in the lineup to best maximize his ability and to be put in a position to have success. Caprizov is 24 and while we can talk about his 27 goals only 55 regular season NHL games it was backed up by two 30 plus goal seasons in the KHL prior if he sits out in Minnesota to get traded to make top dollar well there are going to be other NHL teams quite a number of them in need of realized goal scoring that will overpay for Caprizov there isn't risk he can't duplicate that production. It's foolish to think because of his current holdout, other NHL teams would shy away from him. They won't. He isn't a risk. He is a solid, safe bet about to enter his prime playing years. If you think of a comparable NHL player maybe Toronto's Mitch Marner right wing the same age who is overpaid in my estimation after a holdout as well at 10.9 million per is a fair one to actually use that's the fair player one for one Minnesota fans would want in trade value return for Kaprizov now isn't it and yet even at nine million a year Kaprizov is considered to be asking for too much now blame that other don't swear tim don't team giving marner that overvaluation under what was a restricted free agency holdout situation similarly but don't dismiss that kaprizov is crazy for getting his agent to try and get that kind of money figure there are nhl age comparable top six players who have gotten it i'd rather pay kaprizov than marner what marner makes sure, I'd want to pay both less as a GM as well. There just are more than a few not as good NHL GMs that will pay it. GM Gurren, I don't think he will, but then what are the options left? The equal value trade return group of players makes just as much in AAV, don't they? The top six value of Fiella with zuccarello instead of caprizov isn't all that bad comparatively but it definitely leaves goudreau and hartman on the third line without a dynamic goal scoring threat line mate that even say rossi on the wing by comparison takes away from that triple goal production threat minnesota had instantaneously from a year ago that's a big issue here it's not the top six and what happened to the bottom six. The fourth line winger, 29-year-old Nick Butstad, is back at 900k one year. And I haven't even touched on Zach Parisi's buyout. As with Benino, that was where Parisi once demoted, slotted, on this roster last year well i don't like the suitor buyout the parisi one when he goes from a top line player to a fourth line player value is 1 million to 1.5 million max in a proper team payroll structure as much as parisi has playing value he was well under the two-thirds his salary value so that buyout this summer did make sense I just would have only bought out Parisi, kept suitor, and revisited the latter each year by comparison. Bonino, by the way, is one of the vets now departed from this group of players. I would have liked to have seen Minnesota keep or additionally resign, or even sign instead of Bukestad but i also don't mind marcus johansson and i think seattle overvalued him at 0.6 million more than i would have offered as an nhl gm meaning johansson i could live with as a bottom six player at 900k top valuation i'm not sure i like bukestad at the 900k but we're getting near to the league minimum and fourth line value at least Last year, several players in Minnesota's bottom six were overpaid compared to their usage. However, any of Kyle Rao or Joseph Cramarosa are now fourth-line options or if another rookie matthew boldy were to crack the top nine pushing another regular nhl quality player to fourth line usage while it isn't as good as the vets even overpaid contract wise were and i should add in addition to Benino, the bought out parisi left wing center marcus Johansson, who departed on a one year 1.5 million deal to seattle all if valued where johansen now were maximum would be nice to still be in minnesota so the playing forward 12 group does to me have an open left wing spot this upcoming year and isn't as strong as the playing 12 group a year ago was that remains true with restricted free agent kaprizov getting re-signed The other changes we've paid little attention to really does affect how good the bottom six is. And then if you do take Caprizov out of the top nine group and someone else has to play up the lineup, likely Fiala, and the bottom six really takes a hit because while Minnesota's top six would remain good, it really was a solid top nine with an NHL veteran fourth line a year ago. As I mentioned, Minnesota was in the mix as a landing spot for Marcus Foligno's brother Nick, who would have been a great top six add to this group that unfortunately didn't get done, but was a real possibility as well. It's why I think GM Bill Gurren is still in the mix to see what else via trade he can do for a playable top six center. The additional cap space allowed last year's team to have players who weren't playing to their salaries on good valuation, except that they did actually still have playing value as everyday NHL players, and in saying that, if you have the cap space like Minnesota did last year, it allowed for a playing forward group 12, even in injuries, that was stable, and did provide collectively goal scoring by committee that made Minnesota a sure to make the playoff team. That roster playbook ability isn't available to GM Gurren this year, and with the buyouts, it won't be for the next three years following this year as well. The balance of it does then fall to prospects to demonstrate being capable NHL regulars, but you have to be prepared for growing pains, and that some nights the team won't be on the right side of winning because of more inconsistency that the development curve of younger players over proven NHL regulars that likely results summer prediction for next season fourth in the central division first wild card spot and i would anticipate minnesota playing the winner of the central division but not the winner of the western conference as vegas or edmonton win the conference in the weaker of the two divisions based on more division games played versus the logjam competitive central division with stronger teams top to bottom next season thus minnesota I predict would play Colorado in the first round. Final thoughts, Minnesota was the toughest to predict. If Caprizos' deal gets done, and as I expect, GM Gruen does add a top center in some deal that's possible before training camp, I very well could, by the end of training camp, slot Minnesota as high as second place team in the Central Division, not fourth. Even with the uncertainty of re resigning, it's hard not to put them at least in the top three, but then I look at the forward depth experience compared to last year and the bottom pair defense and I don't see as solid an overall group in Minnesota when you add the uncertainty of Kaprizov that's the breaking point to take Minnesota from the comfortable playoff bound status spot into the mix of central division teams that I will think be a logjam that Minnesota could end up being a part of instead of a slightly point wise above that group if Minnesota enters the season with an additional NHL top six center and Kaprizov resigned, I think Minnesota are absolutely a playoff-bound team. Without it, they become more dependent on Dallas-St. Louis-Chicago on spots three through actually six in the Central Division. It's just that real of a swing possibility. Essentially, I presume Kaprizov is back with this group, and I predicted Minnesota fourth. If Dallas is as injured as a year ago, Minnesota is in the top three and then they have to be better than winnipeg to be second but offensively winnipeg's top six isn't a worry and they now defensively have a top 4d group at least on paper and a vesna winner in net Colorado may, in fact, not be as good, but certainly remain an NHL playoff caliber team atop the Central Division. Minnesota, to me, is better than St. Louis and Chicago, but it just takes one of those two to be better than I anticipate, and it affects Minnesota further. I just felt Minnesota comfortably slots fourth, even if, say, Dallas underperforms, but St. Louis overperforms by comparison. Minnesota is still going to finish well ahead of Nashville and Arizona, that I don't doubt. It's a lot more competitive for the teams actually from spot one through six in the Central Division this year thank you for listening to central division hockey the podcast and a team focus 2021-22 draft and free agency review for the minnesota wild up next in the next podcast we turn our attention to dallas and how their offseason is going
1: would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now, get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday.